Well, it's good to see you tonight. Let's get our Bibles open. Let's get ready to use them. We're going to find ourselves in Acts chapter 19. When we left off, as many of you will remember, in Acts 18, and we did read the first part of 19 as well, uh, we read about some, some correction that needed to take place. In fact, uh, not correction in, in the sense that you might think of it, not somebody getting in trouble, but rather somebody finding out there was more and receiving it. And as they received the uh, correction from the Lord, they, the Lord used that to expand them, expand their hearts, and uh, expand Apollos uh, and empower his ministry. And then the Apostle Paul came upon some disciples in Ephesus, and we read about how they received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, the last part that we read, he had been teaching in the synagogue and until the Jews wouldn't have him anymore. And so he took the disciples and he left to what's called, called the School of Tyrannus. Now, the School of Tyrannus just simply means it was uh, an academy, a place of learning where uh, presumably the teacher was Tyrannus. Now, most of these guys wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be taught during, you know, during the daytime. In, in the summer in the Greek or Greece or wherever they were at the time. Now, he's in Ephesus, which is now in Turkey. There's a lot of times during the season where you just wouldn't want to be out in a stone amphitheater in the middle of the sun. That's just the worst place to be. So um, I'm imagining that Tyrannus would use this uh, school, would use this area to teach his students in the prime times, whether it be the evening or the early morning. And the Apostle Paul used it during the day. So when it wasn't in use, he was using it. Here's the cool thing, is that the gospel is being taken out of the structure and into an open place where the disciples are receiving, but also a lot of other people are coming by to see what's up. And as he's preaching and he's teaching, I want you to see what happens. Um, and this is, this is really the start of ministry in Ephesus. But in many ways, it's the start of ministry in Asia, what, what the Romans called at the time, Asia Minor. So when we talk about Asia in the book of Acts, we are not talking about China or Japan or Korea. When we talk about Asia in, in the book of Acts, most of the time you're talking about what is now Turkey, that area. So it's just east of Greece. That's the area we're talking about. And uh, some, some historians will call it Asia Minor because that's exactly what the Romans called it. Here's what he says in verse 3. Uh, sorry, not verse 3. Let's start in verse uh, 8 says, he entered the synagogue. He starts out with 12 guys. He entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and he took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So when we're talking about the way, we're talking about the way of Jesus. We're talking about following Jesus. So they were speaking evil of the way. They become hardened and disobedient. You know, when we're talking disobedient, a lot of people define disobedient as if you did something bad, you did something you knew you weren't supposed to do. But in the New Testament, often one of the biggest sins, in fact, the greatest sin in the whole New Testament is the sin of unbelief. Did you know that you could be disobedient without actually actively doing anything? By resisting the word of God, resisting its work in you, he calls that disobedient. So he says they were becoming hardened because we know that the Bible says today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. That to hear his voice requires something of you. To hear his voice 
causes reaction from you. To hear his voice causes things to grow in you. And if you reject that word, if you don't respond to it, what happens is your heart will become more and more hardened. At the beginning of the book of Acts, we see the uh, apostle Peter get up and he preaches this great sermon. And it says that the people there were pierced to the heart. And as they were pierced to the heart, they dropped to their knees. They said, what must we do to be saved? But then only a little bit later, we see Stephen preaching a very similar message to the, to the uh, Jewish synagogue, to the, to the rulers of the synagogue, to the rulers of the Sanhedrin, rather. And as he's teaching and as he's preaching to them, really he's on trial, it says they were cut to the quick. And, you know, if you really think about it, being cut to the quick and being pierced to the heart is pretty much the same thing. But the response to being cut to the quick instead of repenting like the other people did, they got harder. They got angry. They were mad. They got ticked off. And they began to uh, gnash their teeth, cover their ears, yell at the top of their lungs, and eventually killed Stephen. So you have two responses when the word of God speaks to you and the Holy Spirit pierces your heart, pokes you right where you live. The two responses are you respond to it. And you, you say, yes, Lord, I believe. What must I do to be saved? And you're already saved here. So many times it's, it's, it's in the act of doing, doing something with what you've heard, actually living it out. That's the response that God's looking for. Your other option is to get hard and hardened of heart because the more, and this is the dangerous thing about coming to church. Can I just tell you, it's dangerous that you came in the building. And the reason is because if you're not willing to receive what the word says, and if you're not willing to do anything with it, it's actually bad for you just to keep hearing and never doing. Because you'll become more hardened than that guy sitting at McDonald's that's never been to church. Because your heart learns, it doesn't matter what I'm hearing. It doesn't matter if I hear this. It doesn't matter if I hear that. And your heart becomes harder and harder. So the worst thing you can do is walk into a church, sit there and say, I'm not going to do anything with this. The best thing you can do is say, Lord, soften my heart. Show me how to apply the word in my life. Show me how to say yes to God because that's the first thing he's looking for. So as they became hardened, disobedient, speaking evil of the way, it sounds like they were, you know, the synagogue, you'd have a chance to speak. A guy like Paul would get up and say his piece. And he was not just experiencing scowls in the audience, not just experiencing people talking behind his back, but people interrupting him, people getting up in the synagogue and speaking evil about the way. So he wasn't getting anything done. So he takes his disciples out to this secular school of learning, and it actually is a really good thing. As his disciples go with him, I've got to believe there's more than 12 at this point. He's been preaching for three months. So there's probably a lot more than 12 by this point. But he takes them to the school of Tyrannus and he begins to teach them. And here's what it says. This took place for two years. Daily he's in this school. For two years he's teaching disciples. Now, I want to challenge the way we might read this the first time we read it. Because if you're not really thinking about it, you might assume that the 12 guys that met Paul on the road and said, what's the Holy Spirit, are... Those 12, and they followed him, and they sat under his teaching for two years, and that was, that was his little church. But I might submit to you that, that we have evidence here in this verse that it was a revolving group. It was a changing group because here's what it says. It says it took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. 
Now, if Paul is daily in the same place, TV doesn't exist, live streaming over the internet doesn't exist, radio doesn't exist, if he's in the same spot teaching for two years, how in the world does the gospel spread through all of Asia? Well, it's quite simple. The disciples hear, they're trained, they're taught, they leave, and they take it with them. And they make disciples, and those disciples make disciples, and it spreads like wildfire. See, we have to rid ourselves of the notion that there is a class of professional Christians that are in existence that have a microphone, and, and they teach everybody the word, and they get everybody saved, and we sit back and cheer them on. That's not the way the Bible teaches us. The Bible tells us that this time right here, what you're having right now, that there are, there are gifts in the body that are to train the body, to equip the body for the work of ministry. Every disciple can make a disciple. Every disciple should be making disciples. You don't bring them to somebody else and say, here, you make a disciple. You say, okay, and, and let, me get this, let me just tell you this. They're not your disciple. See, that's where I think a lot of the, the, the word discipleship sometimes makes some people sit up and kind of get nervous because some people have taken that and said, you're now my disciple. I'm your teacher, your mentor, your whatever, your, your Yoda. You're my disciple now. Here's the thing. They're never yours. You don't make them a disciple of you. You make them a disciple of Jesus. That's why we can reproduce ourselves. See, if they were a disciple of you, I see, I used to work in the, in the sound booth back in the day. I, if you name a job in the church, I've done it at some point. Cleaned the bathrooms, done nursery, done toddlers, uh, children's ministry. I've done sound. I've done, done it all. I, I, I don't know if I've ever ushered here. I've ushered in other places. So I, I, I've kind of made the rounds, but I remember when I was working in the sound booth, um, and, of course, it was cassette tape days, right? Some of you heard me talk recently about how we, we would know my dad was preaching long, and we'd say, uh-oh, it's a two-taper. And a two-taper was more work. <laughs> these weren't small. These weren't like the, 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 the short play cassettes. These were the extra extended play. And he'd go, two tapers. And we'd go, oh, that's a two-taper. It's going to be twice as much work. Um, but let's get it done, all right? So I remember we'd, 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 we'd work back there, and you had a big duplicator machine. This duplicator machine could duplicate several tapes at once. I think it was close to, I think it was a dozen. But anyways, we'd have these duplicators. In fact, we had two of them side by side. Because, you know, now you guys are spoiled. You don't pay a cent for the sermons you listen to. You can get it right on your phone, and, and that's a great thing, and that's really I'm very excited about that. I like that the gospel's going out free of charge, easy to get. You can get it immediately. And so, uh, but back in the day, you'd have people lining up for the tapes. You know, you pay for the tape, and, and you weren't paying for the tape so that it'd be a profit. You're paying to cover the cost of the tape itself. And so, we would duplicate those tapes as fast as we could because people are, you know, tapping their toes and they're waiting for their tapes so they can go home. And, uh, the thing was, you always had a slot on that machine, which was for the master tape. If you were to go into our archives right now, this is my sister Liberty right there. Most of you know her. She lives in Philadelphia. And one of the things that she does for, you may not know, but she is in the process of digitizing the entire archive of the tapes that we've ever had since like the 80s, which is really cool because there's going to be a point where you're going to have access to stuff that was as preached, you know, 30 years ago. And it's, it's really great. And so, you know, 
she could tell you how much work that actually is because it's not like today where you have digital media. When you have digital media, you can make as many copies as you want instantly. When you have analog media, like a cassette tape, you have to listen to the whole thing through if you're going to record it on the digital. Now, we had these duplicators, and they go real fast, and they're duplicating these other tapes, and they're, they're doing it real fast, but you always keep the master. In fact, the reason we still have uh, boxes and boxes of tapes is because we've always kept the master tape. Because if you made a copy of a copy... The more copies of copies you make, the worse it sounds. They lose quality. But we always make a copy of the master. Always a copy of the master because the master stays the same. Because we don't play the master. We're not, we're not putting it in the cassette player, playing it over and over again. We just used it for duplicating. So every tape that we ever gave out was a direct duplicate of a master tape. Because that's really the, the quality that we see in, as far as us being followers of Jesus is if we are a follower of Jesus and that person is a follower of us and that person is a follower of our follower, the copy will get weaker and weaker and worse and worse the more it happens. We are not called to make our disciples. We're called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's how it differs from the world. The world says, you know, you're going to learn from me. I'm going to give you what I know and you're going to be like me. We say, we're, you're, I'm going to help you along. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to teach you if you need teaching. But you're going to be like Jesus. Yeah. Now, the apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And there are times where, especially as new believers, it's good to look at somebody who's already doing it and saying, okay, as long as you're following Christ, I'm following. And, 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 and you follow them. But you can't do that for the rest of your life. At some point, you got to learn that uh, I'm going to learn how to follow Jesus myself because I can't follow the backside of that sheep for the rest of my life. At some point, God may call me a little bit further up in the pack, and I'm going to have to know the voice of the shepherd. So as he's teaching these disciples, here's the cool part. The word is spreading through all of Asia. I like that the word disciple is used here. Not simply um, you know, it wasn't just simply students. It wasn't just simply people that came to hear a good message. They came because they were disciples. And when we see disciples in the New Testament, when we see them following Jesus, when we see them come out of, of Paul's ministry or Peter's ministry, you see disciples that are not just hearers, but they're going to do something with what they've got. The Bible tells us, Jesus told his disciples, he said, freely you've received, now freely give. That's the principle of discipleship, is you receive freely and you give freely. He's not talking in, this, in that uh, circumstance. He wasn't talking about money. He was talking about not only the teaching they'd received, but the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the healing, all of that. He sent them out and he said, go preach the kingdom. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, freely. Lepers, not leopards, because you know. Can't change their spots, right? Lepers, cleanse the lepers. Freely you've received, now freely give. A basic truth is this. You can't give away what you haven't received. You can't. A glass can't pour out what it hasn't received, what's not been poured into it. But then you really can't keep receiving for too long if you're not pouring out either. That's why you have believers that get real bloated. They get bloated. 
because they're receiving, receiving, receiving the word, never do anything with it. Pretty soon they get tired of it. And I'll tell you what they do. They'll start looking for teaching that tickles their brain a little bit more. Maybe, oh, tell me something I've never heard before. Maybe tell me some, some little secret mystery that no one's ever said before. Why? It's because it's not your spirit that's asking. It's your soul that's looking to be entertained. So you start looking for little things that kind of pique your curiosity instead of things that will nourish you and equip you and send you out. I used to work at a Christian bookstore, and it was a, it's a blessing, it still is, a blessing to our community. You'd have people, though, that would come in, and, and they would dive first, for, and you, they'd buy the same kind of book every time. And, and I had a guy that asked me, actually asked me, he said, listen, I see you've got all these Bibles here, but you got anything with some of the secret, secret gospels, some of the secret things? Is there any gospels that, that I don't have right here? And I said, uh, I said, yeah, they're not that reliable, man. Like, there's some stuff that supposedly was this extra gospel. You find out it was a, it's a fake from several hundred years later, and it's, it's, it's pretty wacky. He's like, well, I just want to know the stuff that no one else knows. I want to hear what's not in the Bible. And I, I said, friend, um, you won't find it here, but I said, you know, I'm still, I think for the rest of my life, I'm still not going to be able to do everything with this book that I, I really want to. I, I'm going to keep learning until I die. I don't think we have enough time to master all this so you can have another book. I think God put enough in this Bible, he put enough in the words of Jesus. Remember, John said, if there were all the books in all the world, they wouldn't be able to hold everything Jesus said and did. But apparently, God felt that what you do have is enough to keep you for the next, you know, 70 years you're alive or whatever. If there's anybody in the room who says, I have done everything I could possibly do with every word in that book, then come and talk to me and teach me how you did it because I've never met anyone who's done that. For the rest of your life, there's more than enough. This word is active. It's alive. There's more than enough to keep you busy. So what you'll do is if you get bloated, you'll get bored more and more hearing the word. Why? I mean, think about it, guys. Think about this. What happens when you eat a big meal and you just sit on the couch? You don't do anything. You just sit on the couch. That's you. (laughs) An hour later, an hour later, I'm talking about like big Thanksgiving meal. You sat on the couch. An hour later, you're not really looking to go get some more food. Well, some of you are, but most of you aren't. Why? Think about the difference. Think about if you ate that big meal and you sat on the couch versus if you ate that big meal and you went out and went for a walk or maybe you went for a jog or maybe you did some work. Some of you guys do physical labor every day and you know the feeling of coming home and being tired but being so hungry. So hungry, raiding the cabinets. I mean, I'm telling you, there would be no reason for me to eat at some of these fast food places around here if it weren't for the fact that they're open 24 hours. And when I get home from Loon Lake late at night, I'm hungry. (laughs) And I haven't been running around doing a bunch of work. I've been moving my right foot, pressing the gas pedal, but it's been long enough, and we've been getting into the Bible study on a Thursday night, and you know how I am when I talk, and we're moving around, and... I'm hungry when I get home. But imagine, some of you guys know when you've really been working hard, you work up an appetite, don't you? Now, I'm not talking about working hard, but I'm talking about doing something with what you have. You see, your body burns up. That food is supposed to be energy for you. 
That's why, you know, you look at, there's a couple guys in the audience, they're buff, they're big. These guys can eat a lot more calories than some of you very petite people, right? The reason they can eat so much calories is because they're burning off the calories. Calories are energy. But if you don't use those calories, what do they become? Fat. And this is what happens. Faith without works is dead. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God brings faith, but faith without works is dead. You keep hearing the word and doing nothing with it. All you got is a bunch of dead faith sitting around. And you become hardened. You become bloated. And you go flipping through the channels waiting for something to entertain you. Rather than something that will feed you. And something that will equip you. I've said this before. But you guys know that when those firemen run into that building, they are thankful for every bit of equipment they've got on. But if the ushers met you at the door right here and put a bunch of fireman equipment on and then told you to sit down, you'd all, by the end of the service, hate that equipment. You, you're just like, oh, I don't, I don't want this on. I don't want this helmet. I'm hot. I, I look at this big jacket, these big pants, these gloves. I don't enjoy this. Why? Because it's not fun being equipped if you're not using the equipment for what it's meant to be, right? So if you come to church to be equipped for the work of ministry, if you're not doing ministry, the equipment gets heavy. The equipment gets cumbersome. You don't like the equipment. But I can tell you that the most excited people in every church service are the ones that are going out there and using what they learned. And you see the disciples here. Now, I'm not here to condemn you because, you know, sometimes you hear this and you say, maybe I'm not doing enough. You don't have to live up to any standard that somebody else is making for you. You need to live up to the standard that God's setting for you. So as long as you're obedient to him, and you don't compare yourself to other people. Because ministry for you doesn't look the same as ministry for me. There are some similarities. But you don't need to look at that person and say, well, I should probably be doing what they're doing. You should be doing what God tells you to do. And what he tells you to do, if you do it every day that he tells you, if you do it with all your heart, then you're doing the right thing. That's why in every service... Somebody comes up and another person comes up and another person and they all say, I don't know how you got in my head, but you preached exactly the question I was asking. And they, but they got something different than that person and they got something different than that person. And it's not because the preacher hit all those points. It's because the Holy Spirit's using his word and he's answering questions that you had and he's teaching you and he's guiding you. And you are hearing the same thing as everyone else, but the Holy Spirit's saying, here's what you're going to do with this. Here's why you needed to hear this. Here's where I'm going to cause you to grow in this area. The Holy Spirit knows what you need. And the word of God, the Bible says, every scripture is useful, is profitable for edification. It will always build you up. Now, some people, you're building a wall. Some people, you're building a doorway. Some people, you're building a turret. But all of us are being built up, and God knows where to build you up. So every sermon you hear, every time you open your Bible, every time you're taught the Word of God, He's building you in certain areas. And he knows where you need to be built up. But you got to go and you got to apply the word of God. And you have to know that you are being equipped for ministry. So you say, when we hear the word ministry, many times, especially those of you that have been born again for a while, 
When you hear ministry, it looks like something in your head. And sometimes we need to scrub our minds of what we think ministry looks like. Because I think many of us think if you've got a ministry, it's got to have a charity number. It's got to, you've got to have a website devoted to the ministry. You've got to have five people that are helping you. But some of you are in ministry at your workplace. Some of you, your ministry is that, is that, you know, is those opportunities that God's putting in front of you every single day. And it doesn't have to be a formal ministry with a formal title. Because if you look in the Bible, most of those people did not start a formal organization. They just did what the Lord said to do. So don't say, I'm not in ministry. Don't say, I'm not in ministry until people recognize I'm in ministry. Because if you are, think about what ministry means. See, the word minister is is the same sort of word that we'd use today to, to, to describe a waiter. A minister has been given something to minister to others, to give to others. You've been given something. So whatever you've received from God has been given to you not only to build you up, but to build someone else up. So you are a minister. When you are taking what you've heard from God, when you're taking what you've learned and you are encouraging someone or you're praying for someone or you're leading someone to the Lord or you're making disciples, when you're doing that, you're in ministry. You are taking what God has given you and you're pouring it out. That's all ministry is. We all are ministers of the gospel. If we're disciples, a disciple, you know, there are, there are a couple words for teaching in the, in the New Testament. And the word that we use for making disciples, you know, the King James translates that as teaching. But if you dig into it, the, the, the word that, that is used when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples... The reason it can't be simply described as teaching is because this particular word attaches you to the teacher. It's not just, I learned something. Like, you guys can go online and learn something, but you have no attachment to the person that taught you. But to be a disciple, you don't just learn from them. You follow them. You you stay with them. When we are disciples of Jesus Christ, you think about it. Could you be a disciple of Jesus and stay in the same place? Oh, why? Because pretty soon he's not going to be there anymore. So in order to be a disciple of Jesus, you had to leave something. The first disciples, the Bible says they, they got the biggest catch of their lives. And right after they get the biggest catch of their whole careers as fishermen. I mean, this isn't their hobby. This is their job. The biggest catch. They finally made it. They've arrived at the big show. And he says, Now, come on, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And the Bible tells us they left their boats and they followed him. How hard would it be to leave your boats right after you got the biggest catch of your life? And you know the spot and you can go back there. Maybe you think it's a trick. All right, uh, what did Jesus do when he told us to cast the nets on the other side? Did you see, anybody see him wave his hand or did he say some words or something? It's funny, but God may call you away from something in the midst of your biggest success in it. You have to be willing to say, I'll follow you wherever I go, wherever you go. And I'll lay anything down you tell me to lay down. And I'll go where you send me and I'll say what you tell me to say. So when I'm talking about following him, you can't follow somebody merely in thought. It's not, you know, you can't just follow them. It's not like today with Twitter, you follow somebody because you, you get what they're, you know, they'll post something and you get it. That's not what we're talking about. 
And when we talk about following Jesus, think about how they had to follow Jesus. Where he went, they had to go. If he got in a boat, they had to get in a boat too. And then, what does he do to them? He sends them out and says, I'm not coming with you. You go out on your own. Tells them what to say, tells them what to do, and they do it. That's discipleship. So I want you to see that the entire continent, well, I'm, you know, it's not a continent in the strictest sense, maybe the entire region, I should say, of Asia Minor, of Asia, as the Romans knew it, that entire region was discipled not because of Paul directly, but because Paul taught those guys for two years. And within those two years, people came and people went, but they were hearing and then they were going. And so the whole province gets evangelized because of this little school that's in the school of Tyrannus meeting in the daytime in the hot sun in Ephesus. I can't wait for next week when we get to talk about what happens in Ephesus. But I'm real excited about what happened in Asia. This whole region is turned upside down. Not because Paul, Paul stayed in the same spot, but because these people went out. Do you know, it says here, let me just read it to you again so you can get the full effect of it. It says that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's amazing. Can we even say all who lived in Lloydminster heard the word of the Lord? I mean, it's easy to get around Lloydminster. But we're talking, and when we talk about this Asia, we're talking about people who did not have phones, people who didn't have cars, people who didn't have very fast modes of transportation. They are traveling throughout the whole province preaching the word of the Lord, and it doesn't say it's a lesser form of the gospel. It doesn't say they went everywhere telling all these people to go back to Ephesus and hear the, hear the, hear the good preacher. It says they heard of the word of the Lord. See, the word of the Lord was taught by Paul, but it was received by those people who then went out and taught the word of the Lord. You know what I love about that? I love, I love that those disciples all throughout Asia didn't feel like they had to come to Ephesus to get their degree. You know what I mean? It wasn't a group of people saying, come back and hear Paul. It was the people going and saying, I'm going to show you Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome that it wasn't any, in any way inferior to the word that those people heard directly in Ephesus. Because we're not making copies of copies. We're making copies of the master. That's what we're after. And in fact, you're not just a copy of the master. In that you'd be a little bit, little bit less of a, an accurate copy. You are a, he, he lives in you. In John 17, he says, they're not of the world any more than I was of the world. I'm sending, I'm sending them out just as you sent me out. Uh, your word that you gave me, I've given to them. In every way, he has equipped you to go and make disciples like he made disciples. But not disciples of you, disciples of him. Thank God for it. So I want you to know that there's no reason in the world that the word of the Lord can't be heard throughout all of Lloydminster, through all of Alberta, through all of Saskatchewan. And they don't all have to show up here on the same day for it to happen. All it takes is a few hardcore believers gathered in a room that get equipped and go and do something with their equipment. That's all God's looking for. Well, you go out and do something with what you've been equipped. The good thing is you're all uniquely placed some of you work together, but not many of you. 
Most of you tomorrow will find yourselves at different places all over this region. God has placed you at the right place at the right time. Just do something with what you've learned. Start with what you know. Start with what you've received. Freely you've received. Now freely give. That's what Jesus is asking. He's never asking anything of you that he hasn't already given to you. So don't worry about it. Don't worry that ministry will demand something of you that you don't have. Because he won't demand anything of you that he hasn't already given to you. Freely you have received. Now freely give. And then you come back and you want another helping because you're using what you heard. You're using what you learned. You're using what you received. Those are the people that are most hungry, I find. The people that are on the edge of their seats while you're preaching, the people that are excited are not just the people that just like learning. They're the people that are going out and doing something with what they've got. Those are the people that will change the world. Those are the people that will shake this nation. And those are the people that God's looking for. You don't need a business card that says, this is my name, Evangelistic Association, INC. You don't need a PayPal account so people can donate. You just need to find out where God puts you and realize you're uniquely placed right where you are. Where I've been placed, that's where I need to be. Now go and do what he said. Amen? Stand up with me this evening. Lord, we thank you that your word is always true. But your word is not just a form of education. Your word does not just fill us with knowledge. It fills us with wisdom, it fills us with understanding, and it fills us with power. Lord, I thank you that we have been equipped for every work of the ministry. We have been equipped for your ministry. We've been equipped for your good work. And so, Lord, as you have equipped us and you're sending us out, may we be attentive to your voice. And I'm asking you, Lord, that you would, there are some people that hear this and say, Lord, I don't know how. I don't know how that applies to me. I don't know what my area is. Father, I'm asking that by your Holy Spirit that you would prompt them and give them opportunities that they'd have their eyes open wide enough to see those opportunities for what they are. And as they see those opportunities, they'll go out and they'll see your hand at work. Help us not only to be disciples, but to make disciples. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name.